Chapter Nine of the Junior Classics, Volume Seven: Stories of Courage and Heroism. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Junior Classics, Volume Seven: Stories of Courage and Heroism, by William Patton. The Boy Heroes of Crecy and Poitiers by Treadwell Walden Almost everyone has heard of the famous battles of Crecy and Poitiers, which were so much alike in all that made them remarkable that they are generally coupled together, one always reminding us of the other. Yet there is one point they had in common which has not been especially remarked but which ought to link them memorably together in the imagination of young people. These two great battles really took place ten years apart, for one was fought in 1346 and the other in 1356. The battlefields also were wide apart, for Crecy was far in the north of France, near the coast of the English Channel, and Poitiers away in the south, deep in the interior, nearly three hundred miles from Crecy. But they have drawn near to each other in the mind of students of history, because in both cases the French largely outnumbered the English. In both cases the English had gone so far into the country that their retreat seemed to be cut off. In both cases there was a most surprising and unexpected result, for the French were terribly defeated, and in both cases this happened because they made the same mistake they trusted so much to their overwhelming numbers to their courage and their valor that they forgot to be careful about anything else while the english made up for their small numbers by prudence discipline and skill without which courage and valor are often of no avail it is quite exciting to read the description of these battles with their archery fights, the clashing together of furious knights, the first brave advance and the final running away, but after a while the battles at large seem to fade out in the greater interest which surrounds the figures of two youngsters, one hardly more than fifteen, the other scarcely fourteen, for one carried off all the honors of the victory of Crecy, and the other redeemed from total dishonor the defeat of Poitiers. Let us now take up the romantic story of the English lad in the former battle and of the French lad in the latter. When, in 1346, Edward III of England had determined upon an invasion of France, he brought over his army in a fleet of nearly a thousand sail. He had with him not only the larger portion of his great nobles, but also his eldest son, edward plantagenet the prince of wales he had good reasons for taking the boy the prince was expected to become the next king of england his father evidently thought him able to take a very important part in becoming also the king of france if all the accounts of him are true he was a remarkable youth wonderfully strong and courageous and wonderfully discreet for his years 
there was only one road to success or fame in those days and that was the profession of arms the ambition of every high-born young fellow was to become a knight knighthood was something that both king and nobles regarded as higher in some respects than even the royalty or nobility to which they were born no one could be admitted into an order of the great brotherhood of knights which extended all over europe and formed an independent society unless he had gone through severe discipline and had performed some distinguished deed of valor then he could wear the golden spurs for knighthood had its earliest origin in the distinction of fighting on horseback while ordinary soldiers fought on foot although knighthood changed afterward the word chivalry always expressed it from cheval a horse and in addition to valor which was the result of physical strength and courage the knight was expected to be generous courteous faithful devout truthful high-souled high-principled hence the epithet chivalrous which even today is so often heard applied to men of especially fine spirit honor was the great word which included all these qualities then as it does in some measure now i have only time to give you the standard and cannot pause to tell you how well or ill it was lived up to generally but i would not have taken this story in hand if chivalry had to be left out of the account for it was chivalry that made my two boys the heroes they were as soon as king edward landed at la hague he gave very clear evidence of the serious work he had cut out for his son and of his confidence that the youngster would be equal to it he publicly pledged his boy beforehand to some great deed and to a life of valor and honor in sight of the whole army he went through the form of making him a knight young edward clad in armor kneeled down before him on the wet sand when the king touched his shoulder with his sword saying i dub thee knight be brave bold and loyal you may imagine how proudly then the young fellow seized lance and sword and shield and sprang into his saddle at a leap and with what high resolve he rode on beside his mailed and gallant father to deserve the name which that impressive ceremony had given him the army moved rapidly forward and northward toward calais conquering everything on its way till when in the neighborhood of crecy the intelligence came that the french king philip with an army of one hundred and twenty thousand men and all the chivalry of france had come in between it and the sea there was no retreat possible edward had but thirty thousand to oppose this great host they were four to one he was in a dangerous spot also but after a time he succeeded in getting away to a good position and there he awaited the onset no one will doubt that he was anxious enough and yet what did he do after arranging his troops in battle order three battalions deep he sent young edward to the very front of the brilliant group of his finest barons to take the brunt of the terrible charge that was now to come 
it shows of what stern material the king and the men of that time were made for all his present love all his future hope lay around that gallant boy but he knew that the value of the glory which might be earned was worth all the risk besides he was as much under chivalrous necessity to send him as the lad was under to go that pledge to knighthood on the seashore had not been either lightly taken or lightly given if chivalry was not equal to sacrifice it was equal to nothing there was keen wisdom too in the act the king could count all the more on the enthusiasm self-devotion and valor of the knights and men-at-arms in whose keeping he had placed so precious a charge that whole first battalion would be nerved to tenfold effort because the prince was among them for every one would be as deeply concerned as the father in the boy's success edward carried his feeling of devotion to his son's best interests to such a chivalrous extent that he made it a point of duty to keep out of the battle altogether he was nowhere to be seen he went into a windmill on a height nearby and watched the fight through one of the narrow windows in its upper story he would not even put on his helmet that was the way the father stood by his son by showing absolute confidence in him and denying himself all the glory that might come from a great and important battle and the young fellow was a thousandfold nerved and strengthened by knowing that his father fully trusted in him i need not give the details of the battle it is sufficient to know that the first line of the french chivalry charged with the utmost fury among these was an ally of note john king of bohemia who with his barons and knights was not behindhand in the deadly onset and yet this king was old and blind his was chivalry in another form he would have his stroke in the battle and he plunged into it with his horse tied by its reins to one of his knights on either side a plume of three ostrich feathers waved from his helmet and the chroniclers say he laid about him well after the battle he and his two companions were found dead with their horses tied together but although the french were brave they were not wise for not only had they brought on the fight with headlong energy before they were prepared but they had allowed edward to place himself so that the afternoon sun then near its setting blazed full in their eyes and faces edward's army fought in the shadow the terrible english bowmen sent their deadly cloth-yard arrows so thick and fast into the dazzled and crowded ranks of fifteen thousand genoese archers and the intermingled men-at-arms that the missiles filled the air like snow the genoese were thrown into confusion and this spread throughout the whole french army the french king with some of his dukes flew foaming over the field in the rear trying in vain to get up in time to swell the onset upon the english front but the onset had proved bad enough as it was the knights around the young prince were frightened for his safety one of them sir thomas of norwich was sent back to edward to ask him to come to the assistance of the prince 
sir thomas said the king is my son dead or unhorsed or so wounded that he cannot help himself not so my lord thank god but he is fighting against great odds and is like to have need of your help sir thomas replied the king return to them who sent you and tell them from me not to send for me whatever chance befall them so long as my son is alive and tell them that i bid them let the lad win his spurs for i wish if god so desire that the day should be his and the honor thereof remain to him and to those to whom i have given him in charge and there he stayed in the windmill till the battle was over soon the cry of victory reached him as the french fled in the darkness leaving their dead strewn upon the field now the young prince appeared covered with all the glory that his father had coveted for him bearing the ostrich plume which he had taken from the dead king of bohemia the boy rode up with his visor raised his face was as fair as a girl's and glowed under a crown of golden hair he bore his trophy aloft and when it was placed as a knightly decoration above the crest of his helmet he little thought that the triple tuft was to wave for more than five hundred years even to this day on england's front for such it does and that next to the crown there shall be no badge so proudly known as the three feathers which nod above the coronet of the prince of wales edward albert son of king george v now wears it because edward the prince of wales when still in his teens won it at crecy we will leave him there and go on ten years philip the french king had passed away about six years before and john a wild character for such a trying time had ascended the throne he was always plunging himself into difficulties and was often guilty of cruelty and yet was of such a free generous nature and had so many of the virtues of chivalry in that day that he was known as john the good he was the extreme opposite to the grave prudent sagacious edward the third who was still alive and well and king of england some time after the victory of crecy calais had been taken and then both nations were glad to arrange a truce nine years of this had gone by when edward thought it necessary to make another attempt on france as soon as might be therefore young edward his son now twenty-five came over alone landing at bordeaux he had meantime gained great fame he was now known as the black prince because he had a fancy for having his armor painted as black as midnight in order they say to give a greater brightness to his fresh blonde complexion and golden hair marshalling his little army of twelve thousand men he set out into the interior of france when he had reached the neighborhood of poitiers he was astounded by the news that king john was both after him and behind him with a force of sixty thousand men five to one here was crecy over again as to numbers but there was one thing made it worse for as edward the third not long before had instituted the famous order of the garter which is even now one of the foremost orders of the knighthood in europe 
so john not to be behindhand and in order to give a new chivalrous impulse to his nobles had just instituted the order of the star he made five hundred knights of this new order every one of whom had vowed that he would never retreat and would sooner be slain than yield to an enemy the black prince thought it almost impossible to fight his way through such a desperately determined host so he offered to restore all he had just conquered and to make another truce if he might pass by unmolested but john would not consent he must have calais back again and the prince with one hundred of his best knights into the bargain this will never do thought the prince better try for another crecy on the morning of september nineteenth thirteen fifty six the battle began john had with him all four of his sons charles louis john and philip the eldest only nineteen and the youngest fourteen the three former were put under good guardianship in different portions of the field but why the hare-brained monarch took the youngest boy with him into the very front and thickest of the fight it is hard to guess unless it was another imitation of edward and he had also good reason to think that the lad was unusually well able to take care of himself having been trained at arms and pledged to knighthood but young sir philip as he was called proved quite equal to the occasion king john himself led the van moving down through a defile into which after a time his whole army found themselves crowded meantime the prince of wales had planted his army just where he would tempt john into that trap and had set his archers in good position these men were clad in green like robin hood's men and carried bows seven feet long and so thick that few men of modern days could bend them a cloth-yard shaft from one of these would fly with tremendous force edward had placed these archers in ambush behind green hedges and crouching in the green of the vineyards just as the french king with all his new chivalry around him dashed down the narrow valley the white standard of france on one side of him his keen-eyed little son on the other and began to deploy the whole advance battalion preliminary to a grand charge whiss whiss whirr whirr from both sides came the arrows as thick as hail and as terrible as javelins from the hidden archers the astonished frenchmen fell back that crowded still more those who were yet wedged in the narrow space behind now came the english onset then a panic then a rout then a general flight dukes barons knights of all sorts fled with the rest also charles louis john the three elder sons of the king the king was in great danger of being slain but he did not move and philip stood fighting by his side the standard-bearer fell and the white ensign lay in the dust many a faithful knight was cut down or swept away a prisoner but philip flinched not the assailants some of whom knew the king while others were wondering who he might be pressed them fiercely on every side striking at them 
but more anxious to take them captives than to kill them for they were worth a heavy ransom the englishmen shouted all together yield you yield you else you die little sir philip had no yield in him as long as his father held out he kept close to him trying to ward off the blows which were aimed at him and warning him in time as his quick eye caught a near danger on either hand each instant he was heard calling out father where right father where left suddenly a mounted knight appeared who hailed the king in french it was a french knight who was fighting on the english side sir sir he shouted i pray you yield to whom shall i yield me said john where is my cousin the prince of wales sir yield you to me i will bring you to him who are you said the king denis de morbec a knight of artois i serve the king of england not being able to live in france for i have lost all i possessed there i yield me to you said john handing him his steel glove then the whole crowd began to drag at him each exclaiming i took him both the king and the prince were sadly hustled until two barons broke through the throng by dint of their horses and led the two to the tent of the prince of wales and made him a present of the king of france says an old chronicler the prince also bowed full low before the king and received him as a king properly and discreetly as he well knew how to do in the evening he entertained him and philip at supper and would not sit at the king's table for all the king's entreaty but waited as a serving man bending the knee before him and saying dear sir be pleased not to put on so bad a countenance because it hath not pleased god to consent this day to your wishes for assuredly my lord and father will show you all the honour and friendship he shall be able and he will come to terms with you so reasonably that you shall remain good friends for ever nor did all this end in words but it went on for years during all the captivity of king john and prince philip first at bordeaux and afterward at the then new windsor castle in england where galas tournaments hawking and hunting and all sorts of entertainments were devised for them when king john was brought from bordeaux to england where king edward had prepared to meet him in great state the french king was mounted on a tall cream-coloured charger and young philip rode by his side in great honour also while the prince of wales sat on a small black horse like an humble attendant on them both the two royal fathers met midway in that london street the houses which lined the way were hung with rich tapestries the trades were out in companies of many colours the people thronged round the steel-clad cavalcades as they came together and they filled the air with shouts but what two figures now most fill the eye when all that pageant has passed away not the father who stood by his son with such chivalrous faith nor the father whose son stood by him with such chivalrous devotion but the fair youth who carries that tuft of feathers upon his helmet with its motto i serve and the lad whom all have heard of as philip the bold the boy hero of crecy during chivalrous honour to the boy hero of poitiers
End of The Boy Heroes of Crecy and Poitiers by Treadwell Walden.